1: You may be seated. Well, welcome and good morning to Grace and Peace Church. I am Vincent Hoppy. I'm the pastor here, church planner. If you have questions about why we do things, uh, feel free to ask. If you need any more information, feel free to ask anybody around you. They may point you into the right direction. But in this new year, we're turning to the book of Jonah. And Jonah is a prophet. Oftentimes, the message of the prophets is to repent, to turn away From doing life our own way and to turn to God. And it is delivered to us in the form of a narrative. And narratives in the Old Testament are stories that tell the truth of God. And the message of God. And tells it slant. Tells it in a different way so that it it gets in us. And what are we finding? We are finding that Jonah is a runaway from God. Jonah as a representative or as an archetype for God's people, for Israel, he, he is living out their life. And what is he doing? He's running from God in his presence. He has gone passive-aggressive on God. And what we learn is that there will always be a boat to take you away. If you want to flee from God, there's always a way to do it. But it's going to be costly, as we find out today. It will either be religious or irreligious. Those boats will take you away so that you may be a runaway from God. And until you know how you are tempted to run away from God and know how you run away from God, the Christian life will be stunted for you. And so today we'll read how God pursues this runaway. But he does it in a providential way. He does it by sending a storm. And God's grace always catches us. He catches his runaways. Your sins have consequences. And those consequences kind of start a storm and really mess with you and get in there. And it exposes that you have a need. You have a need for God. God set up the world this way. To plead for a redeemer. To plead for help. If there was no storms and consequences for our lives, then there would be never, we would never really call out for God. So God catches his runaways. In 2010, on a hot, sweaty day in New Mexico, I get home into my living room after realizing that a major earthquake had hit Haiti. I turn on the news, and there's reports that hundreds of thousands of people have probably perished. Seventy percent of buildings have been destroyed. And in order to get some commentary, NBC News interviews this Haitian woman with, who's weeping and tears pouring down her eyes. She realizes that she has lost everything physical to her. They saved her family. They are okay. And she begins to cry and weep. So I turn up the volume and the Haitian woman says something remarkable and caught me off guard and messes with me still to this day. How she could see that how there could be such maturity to see this in such a terrible storm in her life. She says this, I know now that God does love me, and I need him. I lost everything in this earthquake. And that's it. No theological reasoning, no explanations. She says, I need God, He loves me, I've lost everything. See, when the storms of life break upon us, when the consequences of sin in this world, and not just our sin personally, but the fact that this world is corrupted and broken, when it breaks upon us, it is to wake us up, to be like smelling salts, to turn us from whatever we were hoping in, to stop running away, and to turn to God. See the storms exposed her need. Here in this narrative we see God is coming after jo- Jonah. And he comes in a storm. We will see that running from God is costly. And we'll see there's love in the storms. Running from God is costly. But there's love in the storm. So we zoom in here and notice the slower action of the narrative. It, go, it starts off with the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh. What, is, what does he do? He rose and fled. That is literally what it says. From the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship, going to Tarshish. And then it stops here. It kind of slows down for a second. It says, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go to Tarshish. Away from the, Lord, the presence of the Lord. So it slows down. And his running away, it is to tell us that there is consequences for running away. It costs to run away from God. It costs to run away. And it slows down. Of course, lo and behold, I'm sure Jonah was thinking, Man, things are going all right for me. He goes down to Joppa, finds exactly what he's looking for. Look out, there's some sailors willing to help him. Everything is going nice and neat and sequentially. Obviously, we would say, God has opened the door. God wants me to do this. Of course, he's running away from them. You know, everything is nice and orderly. And so things are working out for him. He pays the fare, and it's going to be costly. The narrator is telling us in this audience it costs to go against God. And it costs to go against His law. To go against the grain of creation will be costly. You see, God has created humanity to be in relationship with Him. To live with Him. To find life from Him. To find their happiness. Their comfort. Their trust. Their wealth. There's satisfaction in Him. He's the source of life. And to find life anywhere else is actually death. The law uh, it has three uses in the Bible. Theologians sit around and are like, these are the three uses of the law. And so if you're nerdy like me, you'd write this down. There's one, it was to restrain sin. Two, is to reveal our sin, to act like a mirror and show us our need for Christ. And then lastly, it is a good way to live in God's world. To break the law is to run your hand against the grain of creation then and most certainly get a splinter. It's going to cost you something. God upholds the world so as to have consequences for sin. Imagine if there was no consequences for sin. You got it? just doesn't make sense you know we could never say we, why why we would still be perplexed as to why people get away with violence and breaking the law we'd be wondering why do we always want truth and justice but god upholds the world so that our sins will be found out one way or another either directly from going against the grain of creation or Ultimately, in his judgment. So God restrains the wickedness of sin, as tells us that in in, uh, Genesis 9, and he doesn't immediately pay us according to all our sins. Imagine if God paid us according to our sins immediately. You know what he'd do? He'd wipe us off the face of the earth. You see, all sins deserve death because every sin is a rejection of God, the living God, the God of life. All sins is a feast in the grave. All sins and any sin is to partake of death. It's like drinking poison. It may not kill you immediately, but it corrupts your entire system and you'll die eventually. And we're not just talking the big sins like murder. We're talking every little sin. All of those little things, The fact that maybe you don't swipe away from a picture but you start dwelling on it, thinking about it. The spiraling hate of bitterness, the desire to blame someone else for your problems and how much you hate that person, the secret talk behind someone's back. All these little things are little addictions which one day will be just a banquet in the grave for you. It is rejecting the source of life and feeding on death, and it will inevitably bring death. Let me put it this way. Imagine a sailboat. You know, sailboats made out of wood, kind of hollow, belong on the ocean, has sails rudder you're like oh my gosh this is like a two-year-old painting a picture yeah i know so that's the way it looks okay it's on the ocean it was meant to soar and to be pushed along and to cut through the waves in the ocean and humanity is meant to have life and to flourish in relationship with god finding our happiness in him And to feast on anything else is to go against the grain of the world. If you were to put a sailboat on I-25 right now, you're going to have to wait for the bomb cyclone to actually make that thing move anywhere. It's working against the grain of its own design. Running away from God, sin, is working against the grain of your own design. But, so what does God do? Jonah's running away. God, it says, sends a storm. And it's gracious of God to catch Jonah. Why? Because his running away, like we have said, will inevitably lead to his death. It does for every one of us. And the sailors recognize this isn't just any storm. This is God providentially coming after someone. He's judging someone. God catches his loved ones in the storm. And so we need to know how to respond to these storms. Do we see God's grace in it? Do we gladly realize that the consequences of our sins to be found out is still God's goodness upholding the world, catching us, keeping us from hurting ourselves any further? Let me put it this way. I have four kids. There is one of those four kids. At one time, we went to the Grand Canyon. And that person, I know them, they had a death wish from birth, I knew, believed. Because at the Grand Canyon, there is no rail. You can literally just run over like Selma Louisa and just go over, right? And so I had a four-year-old with me at the Grand Canyon. And so do you know what I did? I introduced this storm into her life of strapping her into the baby carrier on my back so she may not escape. Why? Because if she were to run life her own way, she would have fallen into the pit of despair and death forever. So, by love, I restrained her. And by love, God comes after Jonah. And so, let me put it this way. God catches his loved ones, yes. God sends storms, yes. But not every storm is directly the result of your own sin. It would be foolish for you to think every time that there is a storm or something bad happening in your life that God is coming after you to get you. Does God want you to learn and work through something? Does God want you to see his mercy and grace in it? Yes, but not every storm in your life is because of your direct sin. Let me put it this way. Adam and Eve caused sin, allowed sin to come into this world and corrupt all of God's good creation, and we bear the fruit of it. But we are to call out to him in the corruption and the fallenness of this world. So not every storm in your life is a result of some sin in your life. But your sin will have storms with it. And the storms of life will break on you as well from other people. So sin has consequences. And does that mean there's no love in it when the storms come and get you? I've thought much about Romans 8 and how God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But that can only happen if God is in control of all things. And he's caring and knowing. And often we can't see how that's going to be unless God actually knows what is best for us. And so we have to do the thing of trusting and seeing that every type of storm must be a wake-up call from this good God. And how you respond to the storm is important. You see, it costs to run from God. And you can see the storms of this world are a means to catch you. While you see God's justice, you will also get his mercy in the storms. Here, Jonah is caught by a storm and it affects all those around him. Much of the storms for our society and our country and uh, God's church, there are wake-up calls. Maybe COVID-19 hasn't directly affected us but it is a storm to slow us down make us uncomfortable but not for us to save ourselves or to try harder but to call out to him maybe a summer of racial unrest is to wake us up to the fact that things aren't actually just and equal even in god's god's church and maybe even in our own hearts Maybe the divisive political election reveals that God's people have committed spiritual adultery by trying to preserve our position and power by aligning closely with either political party. Maybe the storming of the Capitol is a storm to wake us up from caring more about political power over caring for our neighbor. See, there's storms in this world. And do we see God's grace in it? A friend of mine wrote me an email a couple of years ago. We were kind of cordial then, but now we have a much deeper friendship. And in it, he said, Vince, I've been caught in some sin. And I read a little further. It turns out this friend of mine, he's same-sex attracted He'd been caught by some roommates, some friends. They talked to him about it. You see, in this story he's telling me, he's like, Vince, I want to live according to God's sexual ethics the way he designed it in the Bible. But it's difficult and it's hard. Will you help me? And so we just text and talk whenever he's lonely, whenever he's feeling stressed, and we chat. We've been doing that for two years now. But then he said to me something else recently that was kind of strange. And I smile and I realize how awesome it is. He said this. I can see now that I can thank God for my sexuality. What? I thought. He says, I know that it has fallen. I know my desire is sinful. But without it, I doubt I would experience his grace and be so close to God and him. See that storm in his life, although it breaks on him, and the corruption of the world breaks on him and in a severe way, he realizes what it was to cause him to do, is to call out for God's grace and mercy and to experience him deeper. So he's experienced what Jonah needs to experience is that there is love in the storm. God catches his loved ones. In verse 4, the narrator basically tells us that God had other plans for Jonah. Oh, Jonah wants to run away. He wants to get away. Even though Jonah wanted to make shipwreck of his life, God is going to catch him. And it's hard for us to tell that God is loving whenever we get caught, isn't it? Whenever we get caught, whenever God intervenes in our lives by catching us, that we're caught in some sin, what do we do? We go and get our defense attorneys with us, right? And we start to say, I'm not that bad. What I did, here's the reasons why I did this. We start to blame shift. We start to get defensive. We start to minimize. These are all the reasons why why you can't possibly come after me. Rather, what God is trying to say, no, you need to be defenseless because I'm the only defense that you possibly need. You need to throw open your arms and your hands and embrace me anew. And that's what he's calling Jonah to do when he comes after him in this storm. God catches Jonah by hurling or divinely appointing a storm. If the sailors are so afraid of the storm and attribute it to the divine intervention, you can be sure that this is a terrible storm and that they're going to die. It starts to take on water, they're going to sink. They're freaking out and they respond by calling out to their God and then they start hurling, same word, cargo overboard in the same way that Jonah that that God had hurled the storm. In verses 12 and 15, Jonah is hurled into the ocean in order that they may be saved and so what is God doing when he's hurling a storm at Jonah and these sailors he's saving them it's strange God catches people God will shake you in your sin you'll be caught red handed why? Because God wants to get at you? No! It's an intervention. It's an intervention of His grace, of His mercy, of His love coming into your life. My grandpa told me this time that my uncle had came to and made an intervention to save him. My grandpa was a World War II vet. I loved him. Great man. But he and my grandmother were addicted to alcohol. They used it to dull the pain of life that hit him so hard. And miscarriages. He had troubled children, one whose name was Harold Fred Hoppy Jr., my dad. Uh, so they had financial woes. It wasn't going good for them. Well, my uncle, he's 20 years old, he's coming to visit on a hot summer day in New Jersey. He's driving around the corner, headed to his childhood home, when, lo and behold, two blocks away, he sees his two-year-old sister wearing only a soiled diaper down the road with no supervision. And so he picks her up, goes into the house, finds one parent passed out drunk in the basement and the other on the couch. My Uncle Steve wakes him up and begins to just lay into them. Why? Because my Uncle Steve, like, hated him, wanted to get back at him? No. My Uncle Steve had an intervention with him. Because he loved them and knew that their sin was taking them down a road they couldn't bear and would end their life. And at first, they fought back. We've got it together. We know how to control this. You know, it's just this one time. Life is hard. Why are you so mean? Don't, Don't you care? Of course he cares. That's why he shows up. That's why he tells you you're going to make a shipwreck of your life. He intervenes. He begins to show them the damage that they were causing to each other, their family and themselves. And when they really see how they were hurting those around them, my grandpa and my grandmother went and got help. Once they realized they were out of control of their own lives. And once you realize that you're out of control of your own life and you need to call out for help, that's when change happens. That's when change happened for them. See, in an intervention, you must confess you're out of control or die. Joan is having an intervention. And sometimes these storms in your life that are happening right now is an intervention of God saying, turn and rely on Him or die. See, this defensiveness, this fighting back, in a lot of ways, is kind of delusional. We believe we're getting it all together. We believe we understand what's going on. We believe we're being attacked. We get defensive. We blame shift. We minimize. We start to do the, well, what about so-and-so? What about this? What if we had more info? I wonder... I wonder if the attacks on the Capitol this this week is smelling salts for the world and our country and for you and me to wake us up to the reality that we're all out of control. We're all out of control. We need to call on him. We need to realize that we've been trying to live lives our own way. And that all our divisiveness, all our selling out to political parties on both sides is going to be harmful. It hurts. We need to be woken up. We need to be caught by the storm. I wonder if this is God's storm in this world. What are the storms in your life? The sailors discern discern the storm was from God to wake them up. And what do they do? They start calling out to God. God. They start calling out to find an anchor, to find something stable in this stormy world. And so this is juxtaposed with Jonah. And what is Jonah doing? The sailors are hurling stuff. They're trying to be saved. Jonah is sleeping in the boat. There are storms in this world. And the danger is that Christianity and his church, God's people, may just be sleeping. Christians can't remain asleep while others are battling the storm because we will both go down together. And we'll talk more about that next week, but we can't remain asleep going on without a care in the world if our churches are, believing our churches are insulated from the raging storms outside. We can't just be insular while our neighbors deal with the storms of COVID-19, police brutality, racism, Black Lives Matter, na- Christian nationalism. These are all storms that, have to be, uh, that the church has to be available to speak truth to. church has to be available to confess. To lead lament. To mourn. To hold out the true hope in Jesus Christ. We can't remain asleep. But even when Adam and Eve were caught after sinning against God, God brought a storm of judgment on them. But yet He promised a Redeemer even in the middle of it. In the middle of the storm, there's love. And so, will we be willing to confess and turn? Have you been caught in a storm? whether because of your own sin or someone else's? Will we be like Jonah remaining asleep in the storm or will you respond like the pagan sailors pleading to God? Will we dig our head in the sand while our communities burn? It's not an option for us. Maybe personally, are you ignoring the results of your sin, covering up with video games, alcohol, Loafing around your basement, self-soothing while your families fight the squall of the storms. Will you lean into it and rely on God's grace? Leaning into the storms and confessing our part and our need for the Savior is the response we need. On Sunday, November 1st in 1755 at 9.40 a.m. in Lisbon, while many were in church, an earthquake and tsunami hit and swept away as many as 40,000. And the question rang out, where was God? Voltaire had an answer, and he says this, What crime, what sin had those young hearts conceived that lie bleeding and torn on mother's breast? did fall in lisbon drink deeper drink of vice than london paris or sunlit madrid and these men dance at lisbon yawns the abyss voltaire believed the earthquake proved that there was no god or at least that he maybe was distant and uncaring voltaire after the earthquake wrote that many of us wrote exactly what many of us feel in times of desperation and in the middle of the storms how can a good god allow this to happen We can't possibly see any good coming out of this. Therefore, there must not be any good. And he does not care for us if there is a God. And by rejecting the personal God, though, and his involvement of the world, and his upholding of it, what basis, then, do we have to say that people dying through natural causes is a bad thing? You see, what Voltaire had did was he just sawed the branch upon which he was sitting and basing his argument. How can he say that anything's good, bad, wrong? It's just natural then. And so why should we mourn or be sad? There's no basis to do it. And in doing so, though, in running away from the personal God, the living God, we've run away from hope and any standard to call something good or bad. See, Jesus' response is strange to something like this, like a disaster. A tower of Siloam falls on people and kills many of them. And he says this, Or those 18 on whom the tower at Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that those were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Which means What? If you got what you deserved for your sin, you'd be wiped off the face of the earth immediately. And Jesus says, But you don't get what you deserve, do you? This is a storm. Turn. Turn. Repent to me. So Jesus' response to Voltaire would be, do you think you deserve better? It is mercy that we all live. In reality, God would be justified in wiping us off the face of the earth because of sin. So don't just assume that you deserve, that you get what you deserve, because if you did, you wouldn't like it. So someone might ask, but does God care about the storms in your life? You'd better believe it. Because the storms cause us to turn. Turn to him just like that woman in Haiti. And how do we know he cares? Because the great storm of our sin broke on Jesus Christ. And he doesn't feel it afar. He feels it in his own skin as he is torn apart to bring us justice. You see him there unjustly turned over to the Romans and crucified. The storms of judgment for our sin coming upon him. But there we see what our sin has done. We see what great love God has for runaway sinners. That he's willing to pay their price. The storms are there to catch you if you're willing to see and know God's love in it. A great storm came into the life of a ship captain and slave trader. Out there on the sea, John Newton encountered a terrible storm. As lightning crashed and seas roared up and down, the ship started to break apart and take on water. He had lived a life running away from God. He can only attribute the storm to God, and therefore, in fear, he called out for mercy. And the storm began to slow. In that, John Newton finds mercy and love in the middle of the storm. Love that would change his heart and stop dealing in the slave trade and then pen the words of amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. We're all runaways, lost at sea, running from God. But God will bring storms into our lives to catch us. And there's grace, mercy, and love in that. And in the Lord's Supper, God catches you so that you may see the penalty of running away and how costly it is. The storms of this world are great, but His love is greater still. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, would you meet us now in the Lord's Supper that we may be transformed to be people who do not bury our heads in the sand, but hold out hope in grace. Let us be, Lord, people who call out to you now. If we are facing storms now, Lord, some of us, may we turn to you and plead. May we see it as an intervention of your love. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.